Well, good morning, church. If you're visiting with us today, my name is Mark, and uh, it's my privilege on most Sundays to fill this uh, pulpit and do what God has called me to do. And in the face of a lot of uh, things that pass for truth out in our world today, to be able to give you truth uh, Sunday after Sunday, it's the most important thing that I do in my position, and I thank you for the privilege of you allowing me to exercise and work out the call that God has put on uh, my life. Uh, we're finishing a series this morning. We usually preach in series, and we're finishing a five-week series that we're calling a Caution. There are things that the Bible tells us to be very careful about, and we've taken this and we've anchored this series in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 where the apostle tells us he says be very careful be very careful then how you live the word live could be walk it's just the way you conduct yourselves the way you go about your business be very careful then the way you walk the way you live not as unwise but as wise so we've anchored it right there and we just look throughout God's word and see what are some things that God has told us to be very cautious about. Because God in his goodness and his grace gives us caution signs throughout our lives. He really does. With our spiritual eyes, we can see a caution sign. We're not, we're not in bad territory. We're not living in sin. But a caution sign is there to say, unless you make an adjustment... You're headed in the wrong direction, and this will not be good for you. Just like a sign when you'll drive home today, it'll say, Caution, road work. And, and that, that, that sign will be there so you can make an adjustment. That sign is, is there for you to alert, take your foot off of the gas pedal, make an adjustment because there is trouble up the road if you don't adjust yourself. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm, that God is gracious to us, in our, in our consciousness that we can be able to sense that if we don't make some kind of an adjustment ahead, we're going to be in trouble. And that's the whole premise. And that's how good God is to, to give us these caution signs. And we've talked about four things. All the sermons are on the Internet. You can check them out if you choose. But I'm going to talk about today something that when you see what it is, you'll be tempted to say he's lost his mind. You'll be, t you'll be tempted to say he's, he's, he's off his rocker. He's, he's gone into heretical territory in some way because this morning I have the audacity to tell you to be cautious about the grace of God. Grace of God is a marvelous, marvelous thing. Matchless, infinite grace of God. But like any good thing that God gives us, it can be abused, it can be mistreated, it can be neglected, it can be distorted in some way. So that's the realm I'm trying to get in today. Be careful about the grace of God. The only thing the devil does, the only weapon that he has is to lie to us. And he comes to us and he only has good things. He's got good things that God has given us. And the devil comes and perverts that goodness and, and takes it outside of the bounds that God has given that to us and then makes it sin. That's all he can do. He's really helpless other than just trying to lie about some good gift. And God has given us lots of good gifts. Sunshine is a marvelous gift for us. But uh, be careful about sunshine. 
If you're not careful about sunshine, you'll do what I had to do when I was 12 years old in one of my dad's churches. I had to go to church on Sunday morning with no shirt on because I couldn't put a shirt on because of the sun blisters on my back that I got from playing wiffle ball with Chuck Mattingly for six hours. Sunshine's a marvelous thing. Marvelous thing. But it can be abused. It can be misunderstood. And the same thing for the grace of God. The writer of the Hebrews tells us that we need to be careful in Hebrews 12, 15, that we need to be careful that we don't miss the grace of God. And I spent a, a short time on this four weeks ago. Be careful that we don't miss. So one of the things that we have to be cautious of about is that we somehow we don't neglect God's grace. That somehow we don't miss it or somehow that we don't overlook God's grace. Because the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, the Apostle Paul says, Hey man, it's by the grace of God I am what I am. And, and basically he's saying, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not I am what I am because I'm a Pharisee or I'm a, um, a king, a chief of all Pharisees or I'm not... Uh, uh, I'm not I am what I am because I prayed so much, and I'm not I am what I am because I've read the Bible more than you or I understand the Bible better than you. I'm not I am what I am because my church attendance is better than you. He says, I am what I am simply because the grace of God in my life. And friends, we can't neglect that. And we can't miss that. And we so, somehow can't distort to somehow thinking that this Christian life is about all the, the effort and all the time that I put into that or the apostle Paul would have said he said and he says right after that he says you know I worked harder than all of you but it was the grace of God that was working in me to even give me the desire and the privilege to and, and, the, and the want to to work that hard I am what I am by the grace of God don't don't forget that don't forget that I was almost brought to tears Friday night as I was uh simp had a had a great conference this weekend well attended and and I was almost brought to tears as I was kind of leaning up against the wall and, and listened to the speaker. She closed out on Friday night, and she had everybody write on a sheet of paper some of the lies that the devil had gives them. And her premise, at least while I was there, was trying to, that a lot of things that you hear are, are, are obviously lies from the devil. He lies to you day and night. It's the only weapon that he has. And so she asked everybody to write down lies, and they passed them down the road, and somebody picked them up, and they took them up to her. And so obviously no names were written on them, and so she was just reading those. And I'm not exaggerating. Correct me if I'm wrong, Simp, but I'm not exaggerating. It seemed like to me like one every three of those was the same thing and was I'm not good enough. It came back over and over and over and over. If you're a good enough theologian, you've missed the grace of God. What does good enough have to do with this word? Show me in this word how good you have to be. Show me in this word the ladder of goodness that you must climb so that you will please God and that he will somehow have his smile upon your life. Show me 
where that is. The Apostle Paul basically says, I know that I'm not good enough because it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. And it's almost like the Apostle Paul revels in his, let me make this up, not good enoughness. Because he said, I have victory in Jesus because he's done for me what I couldn't do for myself. What I was not good enough to be able to do. The grace of my God has done something for me. But if I write I'm not good enough, I don't know where I find my standard of goodness here. I wanted to cry because what have we done wrong as preachers? Or maybe it's just, it's such an important topic that the enemy comes back time and time again. What have we missed that people over and over again would write, I'm not good enough? Christianity is first about the bad news that you aren't good enough. And then once you accept the bad news, God can give you the marvelous good news of the grace of God in your life. But if I revel in that good enough, I'm a good enough theologian. And it's not about grace. It's about works. It's about how good I can be. God, help me from that heresy. Paul says, I'm just... Paul says, it's just God's grace. It's the grace of God, I am what I am. And Paul says, it's all the way through my life. It's all the way through the Christian life. It's just not grace at the start. You know, you say by grace. It's just not grace at the start. It's grace all the way from the start to the finish. He even says before you're a Christian. It's the grace of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the person without the Spirit, that just means a person that uh, God is not dwelling in. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through spiritual things. When, you, when God started waking you up to the reality that you needed Him in your life, you, you weren't seeking after God. God was seeking after you. Other, other ways that this verse gets, gets, gets translated is this, there's no one who seeks after God. No, not one. God, in a way that I can never understand, in a way that I can never explain to you, it's one of the mysteries of the faith, the Apostle Paul says. God awakens us. And if I'm seeking today, it's only because of his grace that I'm seeking. Do you think you're so much smarter than everybody else that you're a Christian? Why, why, why have you got this and your neighbor hasn't got this? It's because God's grace has come upon you. You're, you're, you're not smarter than anybody else. I'm not smarter than anybody else. God's grace has drawn, has, has, has moved me to him. Obviously. I've had to respond to that grace and say yes to that grace, but I wouldn't even have been able to do that if his hasn't moved on me to begin with. It's all a grace. Friends, it's all a grace. God takes the initiative. God takes the initiative. Don't forget that. God takes the initiative. You don't have to be good enough. God takes the initiative. I am what I am by the grace of God. Then Ephesians 2, we, 
we, we come, become awakened by his grace. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says we're saved by grace. It's, yes, it's through our faith. It's, it's, it's me trusting in him. But that's even not of myself. It's a gift of God. Because if it wasn't a gift of God, you'd brag about it and I'd brag about it. That I understand it and you don't understand it. That you understand it and I don't understand it. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. Good enough. Good enough has nothing to do about it. So before we're saved, he even awakens us and starts us seeking by his grace. And then we're saved by grace. We were dead, Paul says a few verses before that. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. <laughs> and we get saved by his grace. Don't neglect it. Oh, don't, 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 don't miss it. Don't somehow think this is about you gritting your teeth. Don't somehow think this is about you trying harder and harder and harder. If you ever grow, if you ever mature as a Christian, it's only because the grace of God. Because in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, and how did you receive him as Lord? You, you received him by grace. And just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Continue to walk with him. You received him by grace, continue to walk with him by grace. It's not that you get saved by grace and then you're sanctified by works. It's just not that you're saved by grace and that you mature and grow as a disciple of Jesus by works. Man, it's, 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 it's grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. Peter stamps this a little harder when he says in 3.18 of 2 Peter, he says, grow in the grace and the knowledge. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. This is all of Jesus. This is all of his grace. You being good enough, me being good enough, has nothing to do with it. How do you deal with the issues of life, the ups, the unders, the overs, and the, and the outs, the trials that you'll go through? How do you deal with that, if not by grace? You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's talking about this thorn in his side. Paul says, you know, I've, I've asked God to, to take this thorn from me. He's given me some thorn, a message of Satan to be able to torment me. You, you know about that. We don't know what Paul's thorn was, and I think there's a reason Paul didn't tell us what his thorn was, so we can all put our thorn in there. If he told us what his thorn was, then it would be that thorn. But since he left that open for us, we can all put whatever it is that snags us and whatever thorn that is that, that torments us, that we prayed over and over that God would release this. But then Paul says a few verses later, no, my grace will get you through it. So how do you deal with the, thorn, with the trials of life? My grace will be sufficient. The Greek word sufficient means literally, it means just enough. It doesn't mean overflowing. It means just enough to get you through that. I'm trying to tell you this morning that you have to be cautious about the grace of God. Don't miss it. Don't neglect it. Before you're a Christian, when you become a Christian, as you grow in a Christian, as you go through the ups and downs as a Christian, and then God will get you through as a Christian because 
all the way through as a Christian because Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says that Paul is confident of this, that the one who started this work in me will bring it to completion. Paul's confident of that. Have you heard people say, well-meaning people, well-meaning people. Well, I'm just holding on. You've heard it, haven't you, Harold? I'm just holding on. I'm going to make it to heaven. Well, if you do, it'll be because of the grace of God. If you even want to hold on, if you even have a desire to hold on, you need to thank the grace of God for that in your life because you and I both know there's a whole heck of a lot of people that don't have the grace to hold on. <laughs> they don't even have a desire to continue to walk with Jesus. And if for some reason I've got that desire, it's not because I'm any better than the next person. It's because God's grace has done something in me. The apostle says, I am what I am by the grace of God. <laughs> John Calvin is the influential one of the two or three most influential theologians we've had in all of Christianity, 16th century. We don't agree as Wesleyans. We, we don't agree every little jot and tittle of, of, of Calvin's theology. one point he said that there's double grace. There's grace when you're saved, and there's grace as you mature as a disciple. There's grace when you're saved. There's grace when you're sanctified. And uh, he's right about that, but it's more than just double grace, friends. It's, it's triple grace. It's quadruple grace. It's grace in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, friends. There's just not two doses of God's grace. If, if, if there's just two doses of God's grace, I'm a goner. I ain't going to make it. I ain't going to hold on. <laughs> What's the old song say? Matchless, infinite grace. <laughs> Be careful. Be careful this thing is not about gritting your teeth. Be careful this thing is not about you being good enough. Be careful that this thing is not about you climbing some ladder and achieving some measure of goodness because it's not there. And some, maybe the measure of goodness it is when you look to somebody else and compare yourself to somebody else. Boy, the devil loves that. But I'm an honest preacher this morning, and I've tried for 10 or 12 minutes to, to, to extol the riches of his grace, as if you're a biblical preacher, you have to. But I've always also got to be an honest preacher, and I've got to be able to tell you that be careful about the riches of his grace, and be careful not to turn that grace into license. You know what I mean by that? Well, God's just gracious. He, he forgives and I sin. He forgives. We got this deal going. He forgives. I sin. He forgives. We just got back and forth and we got a good deal going. It's just license because after all, that's what you said, Mark, right? You've extolled the grace of God. You said it's not of works. You've extolled the grace of God. You've lifted high the grace of God, Mark. So it's got to be all about his grace. And what I do is it does really that make that much difference. And the Apostle Paul anticipated that question. Because in Romans chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, he, he does in a far better way than I could ever do lift up the majesty of the grace of God in 3, 4, and 5. But he starts Romans chapter 6 with this verse. He says, 
what shall we say then? I, you know, I've just been lifting up the grace of God. Shall we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, Paul's either, either such a good teacher that he anticipates the questions of the hearers or that he was really dealing with this problem. And it's probably both. Shall, 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 shall you told me all about the grace of God, Mark. Shall, can I just, I just go on sinning? And Paul says in the Greek, the little phrase is the strongest negative that he could ever go to. It's a little phrase, meganeto. That doesn't mean anything to you or I. But it's a str- it just means no, no way. What are you talking about? God forbid, King James Version. By no means. And he repeats the same thing down about 14 verses later in, in 615 of Romans. He basically says the same thing. What then shall we sin? Because we are, under, we are not under the law, but under grace. He says, no way. Get out of Dodge with that kind of thinking. <laughs> be careful about grace. It can be distorted. It can be turned into license. That's why I like this little passage in Titus. Titus chapter 2. I preached a series on this four or five years ago. It's one of my favorite passages in all of God's word. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Marvelous good news. Grace of God has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ that offers salvation to all people. But then what does it do? It's just gets me saved, right? And I, I wave my, my, my get out of hell free card. Remember, 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 that, remember that day, August 29th, 1993? I just wave it whenever I need it. Paul says, that same grace that forgave you, that same grace is a power that will lead you away from your old life. Because that same grace teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. (laughs) And to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in your age. What does grace do for you? It does many things for you. One of the things that grace really does for you, it teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. Don't, don't, don't misinterpret grace. Be careful that you don't think grace is just a free ride to heaven because it's a power that transforms your life according to God's word. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace here. It's grace there. It's grace in the middle. It's grace at the end. There's one thing you're going to do when you get to heaven is you're going to some way and somehow just say, it's all of grace. How in the world could this have ever happened to me? I've made it. Glory to the grace of God. You're not going to sit in heaven and say, well, boy, I sure worked hard enough. I deserve this. (laughs) I've been good enough. 
John Witherspoon is a preacher of old. As I was studying this week, I came upon this quote. He says, the duties and the privileges of the gospel are inseparable. The privileges are is gr a grace. Duties is our response to grace. He says, the privileges and the duties, they're inseparable. If you take one away, if you take away either, you will starve the other. So if, if, if I've got grace right here and I take away take away my response to grace and how grace works in my life, then I make grace really impotent in my life and I derive it of all of its power and, and, and it, I starve it. But if it's all about works and it's all about my response and allowing grace to work in me, and I, it, it could mean that, be that I'm working for it and I'm a legalist as we talked about a couple of weeks ago and I'm working for it and I'm working so hard that God owes me and both of those. It's the genius of the and. It's the mystery of our faith. And you've got to hold it right there. And so many of us, good people in our holiness movement, have been too careful. We got to, I've heard him say this. We get, you got to watch how much grace you preach. Because people will, people will misunderstand that. And think you can just go sin every day and worth all deep. So you've got to be careful. Well, friends, I understand that thinking. But friends, my job is just to preach the Bible to you and preach the truth of his infinite grace and tr preach the truth of somehow that it's a power that works in our life and let the Holy Spirit of God deal with it in your life. I don't have, how can I reconcile? Who in the world? I have a Master's of Divinity degree. Who in the world am I to try to be smart enough to, to try to somehow discern what's grace and what's us and what's grace and what's our response to grace and Paul says it's all of grace by the grace of God I am what I am <laughs> be cautious and don't ever neglect it don't ever think you have to be good enough as you are in him walking in him he makes you good enough. Not by your own effort, but by his grace that's instilled in you. And even if you want to put forth some effort, it's because he's awakened you. <laughs> Be careful. Don't misinterpret it. One way people can misinterpret grace and get it all mixed up is that somehow they think that grace erases consequences of our sin. This is big time, friends. Grace does a whole lot of things for us, and we wouldn't get in an earshot of heaven without it. But, friend, consequences for my sin, forgiven as they may be, will remain. And I'm not an honest preacher. And you will have a misconstrued understanding of the Christian life if you somehow think that when you get forgiven by the grace of God, that somehow he's going to erase consequences for the previous life. He, your choices matter. They matter. And if I have an affair on my wife, God can marvelously forgive me of that. God can marvelously restore my marriage. But the scars will remain. A seed has been planted. 
And, and you say, well, you know, if, 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 uh, if God has forgiven you and you've uh, uh, renounced that way of life, then she just ought to get over it. Well, you tell her that. I'm not telling her that. Scars remain. You can be marvelously forgiven for being a lousy parent, neglecting your kids, even abusing your kids. Scars will remain. Scars will remain. You can be marvelously forgiven for pornography usage. Scars will remain. You can be marvelously forgiven for alcohol abuse and drug abuse. Scars will remain. You can be convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to prison the rest of your life, and you become a, a, a Christian in prison, and God will not, or may I say may not, reduce your sentence. And you'll die in prison a Christian. Galatians 6, 7 is the verse you knew I was going to sooner or later. Don't be deceived. Don't be lied to. Don't be lied to. Don't let the devil say, well, Mark, it's just a little thing right here. And, you know, after all, he will forgive you. Well, of course he will forgive me. You see, all the devil's lies have a, have, have a kernel of truth in them, or we would just reject them outright. And yes, he will forgive me, but the scars of that action will remain. I wasn't a Christian until I was 34. Got a lot of water under the bridge. A lot of water under the bridge. I've been a Christian now, what? I'm 63, so that's, what, 29 years. Uh, there are things I struggle with that I have no business struggling with it, and the only reason I struggle with it is because I planted seeds back then. And I've got scars. I'm always forgiven I'm going to heaven by the grace of God. But I've got scars. Because I made lousy choices. Just trying to be an honest preacher this morning. Let me finish with one more thing and then we're going home. I've tried to tell you this morning that we have to be cautious about the grace of God. It's my overarching thing. I've tried to tell you. And I've tried to give you reasons here that we have to be careful about the grace of God so we don't neglect it, so we don't use it for just a license to sin, so we don't somehow think it'll erase all the consequences of my poor decisions in, the, in my past life. But also, I just want to take a secular phrase here because there's truth in the secular phrase. I, I want you to be careful. I really want you to be careful. Because there's no such thing as a free lunch. What do you mean by that, Mark? Well, what I mean to you is that grace is free. Paul says grace is free. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says, We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely. Freely. It's free. We don't own it. We don't work for it. 
It's given to us as as unmerited favor. But um, if Brian Miller takes me out to lunch and he pays for it, I get a free lunch, don't I? It's free. Or maybe it costs Brian something. Not free, was it? Or maybe that uh, I go out to lunch and I go out with a friend and somebody recognizes me as the pastor of Senior Church of Nazarene and, and, and they, that, that restaurant picks up the bill for me. I got a free lunch, didn't I? That lunch was free. It didn't cost anybody anything. No, sorry. It cost the restaurant something. Free grace extended to us is not cheap grace. It costs the Son of God is life. And don't you ever trivialize it or be flippant about it or take it for granted. It costs God the price of his very own son. So how in the world, how in the world can I be a recipient of this indeed grace that didn't cost me anything, but cost someone else the ultimate price. How can I be a recipient of that and be flippant of it? You know what? I can't if it's really happened to me. I can't. I can if I really cognitively understand this whole thing that I've tried to lay out to you, that I'll never be able to lay out to you. If I preached a hundred Sundays on the same subject, I couldn't lay it all out to you. It's a mystery. But I know one thing, it makes me fear and tremble that what one could have done for me and for somehow for me to be flippant of that and go around and just wave my free get out of hell free card, that's being flippant. And and that's probably mocking God, Galatians chapter 6. There's nothing in life free. It costs someone something. So that brings us to the table. I wouldn't be much of a preacher if I didn't finish at the cross, you know. And every single Sunday we're reminded, no matter what the subject is, that all this was paid for paid by the death of Jesus and the grace that came through that. Glory be to his name. I don't have to be good enough. I I revel in my not good enoughness. If I could be good enough, why did Jesus come? And why did Jesus die? Paul says in Galatians 2.21, if righteousness could be attained through the law, then Christ died in vain. How could I ever sing victory in Jesus if I'm a good enough theologian? See what the devil does? Say lies. Say lies. I hope as you leave today and whether you choose to receive communion at the table or at the altar or right there in your pews 
I hope you will drop any tinge of good enough theology and leave it in the very pit of hell where it originated. It will damn you to hell if you think you have to be good enough. It's antithetical to everything that's in God's word. And Paul summarizes all of that with, I am what I am by the grace of God. Our servers are coming to the table. Father, I am um, not nearly a good enough preacher to try to fully explain this topic. And none of us have a good enough brain to be able to absorb it. But our brains need to be enlightened by your grace. We are dead in trespasses and sin, and by your grace we need to be awakened to the truth. And Father, I thank you that you awoke me on August 29th, 1993. And I just wonder this morning, as your grace moves from pew to pew and person to person, if someone who was dead in their trespasses and sin by an act of your grace has been given spiritual life and they understand and they reach out this morning and grab and accept and believe in the grace of God and drop their good enoughness. Help us as Nazarenes, help us as Baptists, help us as Methodists to be expositors of your grace to be proclaimers of your grace. May, may someone accuse me, Father, of preaching too much grace. Because I don't know if I can do that. Because it's all of grace, morning, noon, and night. Help us to remember that in Jesus' name. Amen.